If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We will uh, be getting back into Galatians in a couple of weeks, but um, just had an opportunity to look at, at we, we looked at John 20 on Easter Sunday and wanted to zero in on a few verses from here. Um, and then Trevor will be speaking for us next Sunday, and after that we will um, jump into Galatians chapter 5. But um, just feel like there's a, a message for us here from John chapter 20, especially in light of all that has happened with our move and, and as we seek to um, continue to proclaim the gospel to this community and think about what God would have us do as a church. So we're in John chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 23. Have you heard about Coney 2012? Have you heard about this viral video that went out from um, Invisible Children? Not sure if, if anyone knows about this. Joseph Coney is the leader of the Lord's Resistance Army uh, in Africa. It's an organization. I'm going to try to summarize this as best I can. Uh, he's an extremely evil individual. Uh, kidnaps children, young boys and girls, um, forces them to be ch child soldiers. Um, will just come into towns. People are running scared from him, and, and he will just abduct children. And um, a group called Invisible Children had this desire, the, the leader in particular, to to try to stop this, to do whatever he could. And he's been doing this for years now, but just recently there was this huge viral video. I think they said it's probably had got to a million views faster than any video um, in the history, I guess, of the Internet, you would say. Um, but the point was to make Joseph Coney famous. Uh, the thought was, let's, let's get everyone to know who this man is and what he is doing and put pressure on government to do something about this man. Now, whatever you think about the, the tactics, it, it really caught on, uh, especially with younger people. There was this, this desire to, to do something, and they had all these great action steps. Um, if you would donate a certain amount of money, they would, they would send you a, a bracelet. Those are the cool thing now. You have the bracelet that talks about the cause that you have. They would send other materials, and, and the thought was that on April 20th, which was this past Friday, on April 20th, they would, they would paint the town. They would go out at midnight, this, anyone who had, had jumped on board with this campaign, and, and make Joseph Coney famous. Put posters up everywhere, bumper stickers, so that you would see who Joseph Coney is, so people would know, and that we would then put pressure for the, the government to do something. Again, whatever you think about that, it was, it was genius. Well, Andrew and I watched the video. It was a half hour long. It's hard to get people to sit down and watch something for a half hour, but people were coming on, getting on board with this. They were posting it on their Facebook walls, sending out emails, get, trying to get people involved in this cause. Because, I, and as I look at that, I think that there's something deep within all of us to be a part of something great, to be a, a part of something good. I think that's part of God's image with, within us, part of God's common grace, that there's this, this longing. We know that there's something more, that we want to be a part of, of, of something great. And so people latched on to the Coney 2012 campaign. That desire, I think, is in, is in all of us, isn't it? I don't want my life to be a waste. I don't want my life to not count for anything. We all want to be a part of something great, of, of, of a mission, you might say. Sometimes in life, maybe your day-to-day -day life feels a little boring, humdrum, you might say. You go to work, you go to school, take care of your kids, you try to make dinner, um, you 
failed to get dinner ready, and so you have to go out to eat, and you're trying to save money, and you're doing it. Just life, it just comes at you. You know what I mean? And sometimes we, we feel bogged down with it. We want to be part of something greater, but yet life comes in on us, and we don't really know what to do. In John chapter 20, we find something really unique in verses 19 through 23. The disciples are, are reunited reunited with Jesus. And in that, that moment, he changes their lives even more than he already had. He, he took their purpose, their, their goals, their, their, their mission in life, and he gives it this, this singular focus. He sends them. He fills them. He gives them a, a message. And it was this, this life-changing moment. And I believe Jesus, as he did that moment when he appeared in the room and, and changed their life, I think that that's, that's what would happen now. If Jesus would give us a, a mission, if, if, if he would appear in the middle of this room, in the middle of our, of our lives, that he would send us on a mission. He'd give us something great that we are called to do and to be. So if you're bored or you wonder what your life is all about and you're looking for something greater or you even think about our church at large and say, why do we exist? Why are we here on, on Bardstown Road? I, I think that this message is what Jesus would, would say to us. And, and in summary, uh, from John 20, 19 through 23, I think it's this. We are, we are sent by Jesus in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world. That's what we're going to think about this morning. We are sent by Jesus in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world. Whoever you are, young or old, male or female, whatever your job is, however much money you have in your bank account, or however little money amount, amount of money you have in your bank account, however well-known you are, however obscure you are, however important or useless you feel, if you have been called by Jesus to repentance and faith, if you are his child, then you are sent by him, in the power of his spirit, to proclaim a message of forgiveness of sins to the world. As we try to, to get that to sink down into us so that we, it would fill us up, um, we're going to see this in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. This comes in the middle of chapter 20, which we looked at on Easter, you remember. Um, it, becomes, it comes after Mary has seen the stone rolled away. It comes after she had gone and, and told the disciples that she saw the stone rolled away. It comes after um, Peter and John had, had run to the tomb and seen the linen wrappings there. It comes after Mary had seen Jesus. But it comes before the disciples had seen the resurrected Christ. And this is where they first see him. John chapter, 19, John chapter 20, verse 19 says this. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. 
So we find the disciples gathered, most likely in the upper room. Uh, they had been here a few days before. They'd eaten the Passover together there. It was evening as it had been that, eve- that night when they ate the Passover. Um, the only difference is that Jesus is not there with them, at least not right away. Then all of a sudden Jesus is there with them. The door was locked because the text says that the disciples were scared of the Jews. So the door is locked, and all of a sudden Jesus appears in the middle. Some have postulated that this means that Jesus' resurrected body could walk through walls. Um, It could be. I'm not sure if that's rooted here in the text or in a desire that when we are resurrected and receive our bodies that we'll be able to walk through walls like Superman or something. Um, But what it says is that he showed up in the middle of the room. There's some sort of miracle that, that happens. I think more than more likely it's probably that he just appeared in the middle of the room and he appears with these words. The first words that he says to them are, Peace be with you. Those were words actually of, of just common greeting. They're used in the Old Testament. Um, they, Jesus had probably said this to the disciples many times. They were a blessing. They said, Happiness, prosperity, joy be with you. And the disciples responded appropriately, didn't they? What's the text say? When he shows them his hands and his side, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They rejoiced that what had existed in their mind as just this, this possibility, as a, as a hope beyond all hope, suddenly it's, it's reality. Jesus is standing in the middle of the room. They thought he was dead, and now he is alive. Now, it's hard to tell how much conversation, if you look at verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, so Jesus says something else. But I just wonder, is there conversation between verses 20 and 21? It's a short text here, and I I would think that Jesus spent a little bit more time there with them. In Luke, you remember he appears in this way, and then uh, he talks to them a little bit more. He even eats a piece of fish in front of their eyes. Uh, the purpose being, I, I'm human, I'm not a spirit, this is a real resurrected body, watch me eat this piece of fish. And they all watch him do it, and they say, wow, he's really resurrected, this is amazing. So I don't know how much conversation happened in between here, but I think that there was other conversation. And he's allowing this reality of the resurrection to set in. And then in verse 21, he talks again. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, it was a greeting at the beginning, but I think it might be right to think here that it is actually a farewell. This greeting, peace be with you, could be a greeting, but it could also be something that was said when you were leaving. It's kind of like, and I don't use this word in my common language, but like the word aloha. Aloha, from what I've heard, is something that you say when you meet someone, but it's also something that you say when you leave. And so this is a blessing when you see someone, you say um, happiness and prosperity and joy be with you that, that I'm here, and you say the same thing when you are departing. Now, while, while Jesus is, is resurrected and, and he wants to confirm this for the disciples, uh, he's not going to be with them forever. And, and he wants them to get ready for the fact that he is going to leave. I think that's what he's communicating to Mary. Do you remember when, when Mary comes to Jesus and in the verses before this and she latches onto his feet? And what does Jesus say? He says, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Now, I always used to read that and think, you know, is, is she defiling his resurrected body somehow by, by touching him? Is, is that what's going on here? I, I don't think that's what it is. I think what Jesus is saying is, 
don't don't hold on to me like you have in the past. Don't don't cling to me like I'm sticking around forever, because actually I'm getting ready to leave. Everything is going to change, Mary. And, and he says to the disciples almost, he says, I'm here with you. I want you to see that I'm resurrected. But peace be with you. I'm, I'm leaving. Something else is, is going to happen. He, he's told them this already. In fact, he told them it's going to be better if he leaves. He says, it's better if I leave because then I can send the Spirit. And the Spirit will be with you always. The Spirit's not confined to one physical space like I am, but the Spirit will live within you and within all followers of Jesus. We'll see the Spirit later on in this passage. But as, we, as we're just building up here, he, he encourages them with the resurrection, but he's also preparing them for the fact that he is going to leave. He's not going to be with them forever. And in the midst of all this, then he, he bolsters their faith. He, he fills them with joy. He prepares them for his departure. And he communicates to them that he is sending them. So this is, this is the truth for us that we see here. It's this, we are sent as Jesus was sent. We are sent as Jesus was sent. Jesus, throughout the book of John, refers to the fact that he was sent by the Father. This idea is em emphasized throughout the gospel that, that Jesus had been sent by the Father to earth for a mission. There's two words, actually, that are related to this, and they're both used. You see it says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The, two, the words send and send, those are two different words. Um, and they're words that John uses throughout the whole book. It, it might be fun to try to, to say, okay, why does he say, as the Father sent me, I also send you? What are the differences between those words? But in actuality, John just uses these words interchangeably. There's a nuance of difference there, but it's not really worth emphasizing, I don't think, because he just uses them so interchangeably. They, they both carry this idea of being dispatched, of, of being sent to accomplish an objective or to communicate a message. They are sent on a mission. They're sent to do something. And John uses these, again, interchangeably throughout the book. Not only does he use them interchangeably, but he uses them a lot. Um, he uses these words over 30 times just to refer to, just to when Jesus is saying, as the Father has sent me. Just saying, God sent me here. The first instance is in John 3.17. Jesus says, after John 3.16, he says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He emphasizes that the sending of the Father was for this specific ministry that he was sent by the Father to complete. And what is it? It is the salvation of the world. So beginning with this reference, John 3.17, the idea Jesus communicates, the Father has sent me, he does it in every chapter, chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, all the way through chapter 17. If you read through the book of John, you'll see it. Every time he says, I'm sent by the Father, I'm sent by the Father, except for chapter 10. He doesn't say it there, which isn't. Totally significant because he makes up for it in chapter 17 because he says it probably five or six times. I'm sent by the Father. I'm sent by the Father. So this is something important. The fact that he was sent to accomplish a mission, to, to communicate a message, this message of salvation, of forgiveness, of, of reconciliation. And these words would have been fresh in the disciples' ears. They'd heard him say it over and over again. Jesus has been sent by the Father. He's been sent with a message. He's been sent to, to do something. And so knowing that emphasis... 
that Jesus has placed throughout his ministry, what would it have been like to be the disciples and for Jesus to say, as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. Jesus has reiterated, I'm, I'm sent by the Father. I'm sent by the Father. And now, like the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. Jesus is returning to the Father. And he's transferring his mission. He says, I have done what the Father has called me to do. It is finished. I've accomplished the redemption of the world like I was supposed to. And now that that mission is accomplished, I am sending you to do your part of what I've called you to do. There's this, this transition. And, and he's been preparing them for this for the past three years. He even gave them a practice run. You remember when he sent them out two by two? He sent them out to, to, to essentially try this out, to, to build their courage. And now it's time for the real deal. It's time for them to take this message of Jesus' death and resurrection and the new life that he gives to all those who are Jesus' sheep. Have you ever had a, a task handed over to you that you just didn't really feel ready for? I don't know, maybe at, at work you've trained for months and months, but your boss has, has always been right beside you, and then all of a sudden he or she says, okay, you're on your own. I'm leaving. You have to do this on your own now. Or maybe you went to school for years to learn something, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in this room, and you're, you're supposed to do what you've been learning for however many years. And it, it's kind of, kind of nerve-wracking. You're not sure what to do. You've trained, but you don't, don't feel ready to, to do it just yet. It's part of parenting. I'm, we're, our kids are getting to the age where you know, I have to let go of their hand every once in a while. Little things, like let them pour the milk or let them ride their bike on their own. You know, it, It's hard sometimes, but, but they, they have to do something on their own. And sometimes they're just as scared as I am, um, but I have to encourage them and say, this is, this is what you need to do. But we read from Joshua when we started the service. I think this is a great example of what's going on here on a grander scale, obviously. But I'm reminded of Joshua. He takes over for Moses. Talk about shoes to fill. I mean, Moses is is the guy who delivered the children of Israel from slavery. He walked them. Moses is the guy that led them through the Red Sea. He he brought water from a rock. He came down off of a mountain, and his face was glowing with the glory of God. Now, it was God that was doing all these things through Moses, but Moses was this, this humble servant that had led Israel, and now God says, Moses, you're going to die, and Joshua's taken over. And if I'm Joshua, I'm saying, I don't want to follow Moses. That's a, a really tough act to follow. What, what am I going to do? And so God, in his, in his love and his mercy and his grace, he gives us Joshua chapter 1 where he says to Joshua, he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I will be with you. He says, I will be with you as I was with Moses. It wasn't Moses, Joshua. It was me with Moses. And I'm going to be with you just like I was with him. What encouragement that would, would give. And that's, and that's how Jesus deals with the disciples here. You, you think the disciples, how do they feel in this moment? Maybe they say, well, we're not ready, Jesus. We need you to stay a little bit longer. I have this one question that you've got to answer before, before you, you leave. And Jesus says, no, he's, he's sending them. I'm sending you. I'm, peace be with you. I'm leaving. He had accomplished his mission and his part, and now he was sending them out as 
ambassadors, as his representatives. Can you imagine that task? That's a call that you would feel in your bones, I think. It's a call that would fill them with fear, with with excitement, with with anticipation. And it's the call to us, not just to the disciples. It's a call to us. We are sent as Jesus was sent. And it's a call that we should feel in our bones. It should shake us to the core. We should be scared to death. But we should also be filled with excitement and anticipation at what God might do through us. Jesus says that we are sent as the Father sent him. The act of sending is the same, but there's also some other things that are the same, some similarities that that are going to encourage the disciples, and they will encourage us. And here's the first one. We are sent in the strength of the Spirit. We are sent in the strength of the Spirit. He says in verse 21, So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. What did that look like? Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. There are ten of them. Thomas and Judas are not there. Maybe some others were there as well. And and he's, he says, I'm going to send you. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. I have no idea what that was. It, was it kind of a, a corporate thing? Did, did he go to each individual disciple and, and breathe on them and look them in the eye and say, receive the Holy Spirit? I don't know exactly what happened. I think the questions, though, that we need to ask are, why? Why did he breathe on them? What was the point of that? And also, did they receive the Holy Spirit at this moment? Is that what Jesus is communicating? The word for breath here is the word that was used in our scripture reading from Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2-7. In in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, when it translates Genesis 2-7, it's that's this is the same word that's used when it says that God breathed into Adam nostr- Adam's nostrils and he became a living soul, a living being. That, that's that's the the background of that word. And here it, too, it's it's almost as if there's this this new creation that's that's happening, this new life. One of the commentators I read, he said this. He says John writes. Remember, this is John. John was John was in the room, right? John was breathed on by Jesus. John heard the words, received the Holy Spirit. And John, he says, John writes as one who remembered how the influence of that moment on their future lives was a new spiritual creation by which they were called, as it were, out of death into life. It was the first step in that great moral change which passed over the disciples after the crucifixion and of which the day of Pentecost witnessed the accomplishment. Something amazing was happening here But did the disciples receive the indwelling Holy Spirit at this moment? I think that's one of the questions that we should ask. It doesn't seem so, especially in light of Acts 1 and 2, right? You remember before Jesus leaves in in Acts chapter 1, what does he say? He tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait, because the Spirit's going to come. Jesus has been talking about the coming of the Spirit for so long, and he says, not many days from now in Acts chapter 1, just wait, not many days from now, the Spirit is going to to come. So they go and they wait in the upper room and then what happens? The Spirit the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes with this mighty rushing wind and, and the tongues of fire. It's, it, I think it's very clear that that is where the coming of the Holy Spirit is. So so what's 
What's going on here? Um, I think we would point out a few things. One is that we, we know that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's, that's a, a core truth that we need to understand about the Trinity. Um, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. So the, the indwelling of the Spirit is a joint act of the Father and the Son. Another would be that, that Jesus is, is revealing something slowly. Remember, he's, he's trying to help the disciples wrap their minds around what's going on. He's revealing the resurrection slowly so they get it. So they understand this is reality. And I think that's what he's doing also with this, this transition. He's talked about the coming of the Spirit. That, and, and then he gives this, this tangible sign that, that they would, I think, feel the breath of Jesus upon them as he says, receive the Spirit. The Spirit's spoken of as wind in the Old Testament. In Pentecost, you remember there's this mighty rushing wind that, that comes in. And it's almost like this is just a, it's like it's a foretaste. Jesus breathes on them. It's, it's breath. It's, this is what's going to happen. I, I want to encourage you with this. Um, John Calvin in his commentary says it's that the disciples received a, a sprinkling of the grace of the Spirit. Now that's not to say that this is some sort of partial feel, filling of the Spirit that then they receive later. There, there's, there's teaching of a, that you're saved and then you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit later in your salvation experience. I, I don't think that's true and I think this would be an extremely poor text to use to, to, to talk about that. That's not at all what's going on here. When we receive Christ as Savior, we are indwelt with the Spirit fully at that moment. Um, but it, it's this, that, that, that God saves those through faith who receive Jesus. It's this, it's this transitory moment, okay? So, so you've got the Old Testament where the Spirit was, was in a different way, was not settling on people in this same way. And now Jesus is saying, we're moving into something. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And I want you to kind of understand what's going on. And it's this transition so that when Pentecost comes, they say, so this is what's going on. It's hard to really know exactly what is happening here. But I think that this is the main thing. This is the main thing that we should take away. Jesus is trying to encourage the disciples. He's sending them on this mission. And he is trying to embolden these scared friends of his. Why were they... They were up in the upper room, and what was going on with the door? It was locked because they were scared. And Jesus now says, I'm sending you out. you got to go unlock the door and leave and tell everyone this message. And they were scared. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He emboldens them. He's sending, he says, I'm sending you as I was sent. I'm sending you with the Spirit that you saw. You saw the Spirit descend on me when I was baptized. And I'm giving you that same Spirit. Jesus talked about how the power and the teaching that he had, often he said it, it came from the power of the Spirit. And he says, that same Spirit that was with me as I have been sent by the Father, with the power of the Spirit, I'm sending you with the same Spirit. The task before you is great, but be encouraged. Receive the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, the task of being sent by Jesus into the world is a great one. It's one that we should feel in our bones. It should shake us to the core. But take heart. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us the Spirit just as the Spirit was with Him. And if you are a chosen child of God, then He has sent His Spirit to live and to dwell in and to empower you to accomplish the mission that He has called you to, that He's called us to. Jesus, in a way, comes to Grace Fellowship Church and he comes to individual believers and he says, 
receive the Spirit. The task is great. I'm sending you. I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. I'm sending you into a world that does not want to receive this message, but receive the Spirit. As the Father sent me in the power of the Spirit, I'm sending you. I'm not leaving you alone. I will equip you to do what I have called you to do. He says, this task is great, but the Spirit is greater than any opposition. Any opposition that the world or your flesh or the devil can throw at you, the Spirit is greater than all of these things. So we are sent as Jesus was sent. We are sent in the power of the Spirit. And secondly, this other encouragement is that we are sent, and this is kind of long, but we are sent with the authority to proclaim a message of forgiveness. We are, th- we are sent, I, I changed this actually this morning, because I, I, it was just we are sent to proclaim a message of forgiveness. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is we are sent with the authority to proclaim a message of forgiveness. Look at the way he words this. Verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Do you hear the way that he's wording that? That's, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? If you forgive the sins of anyone, then they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, that forgiveness is withheld. Seems like quite a bit of authority, doesn't it? It seems like more authority than I should have. And we haven't earned this. We've been given this authority. We're sent in the strength of the Spirit, but we're also sent with the authority of Jesus. We are ambassadors. We are sent um, to speak for Jesus. Just as an ambassador goes to a foreign country, they're not in charge, but they speak for those who are. Jesus sends us as ambassadors, and he says, you're speaking my words. Um, So we don't forgive sins. I don't pronounce forgiveness of sins because of anything that I've done. I don't atone for anyone's sin. I don't justify anyone. I'm not the sin bearer like Jesus. But I speak, if I'm a child of God, with the authority of the one who I have been sent by. And if we proclaim the message of the gospel, if you proclaim, repent of your sins, turn from your sins, and put your faith in Christ alone as the one who has borne our penalty, as the one who has paid the price for our sins, as as the one who has lived the life that we cannot. If, you, if, if we present that message and then say, if you would put your faith in Christ, then your sins will be forgiven. And someone says, I believe that. Then we can look them in the eye and say, then your sins are forgiven. Not because of any authority in us, but because of the authority that Jesus has given us. This is just as Jesus was sent. Remember, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Listen to what he says in John chapter 12. Jesus says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever whoever sees me sees him who sent me. You see that again, just, he keeps repeating that he's been sent. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. And then what he said, listen to this, just as Jesus talking. For I have not spoken on my own authority. I've not spoken on my own authority, Jesus says. But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. How interesting that that's the way Jesus talks. 
And he says, as, as the Father sent me, in, in this way, I'm sending you. And so as we speak truth, as we speak the core of the gospel, as we speak God's word, we are speaking for God and in the authority of God. This came home to me. I was in a, um, a personal evangelism class. And there was a gentleman that I was trying to seek to share the gospel with, and he was he was much older than me. And I'm not I was never one to ask questions in class, but I, this was just nagging me, and I, so I asked the question. I said, what, "What do you do when you're trying to share the gospel who is with someone who is who is older than you, who's who's more mature than you, who's lived life longer? I, I just don't know what to do. I feel like like you know some young kid coming and and you know that I don't have this kind of authority." And I remember it was it was Dr. Booker who's over at Southern Seminary, and, and he said, um, I, I, this isn't exactly what he said, but I, I, I have taken so much comfort in this. He said, it's, it's not your authority. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not coming to this man and saying, this is what I have come up with, and therefore you need to believe this. But we come on the authority of God's word, on what Jesus has said, and we come in that authority and say, this is the message that God has given. And you need to believe this. And if you believe it, your sins will be forgiven. And if you reject it, then your sins will not be forgiven. It's not my authority. But Jesus has given me authority. Jesus has given you authority. Jesus has given the church authority to say, if you confess and repent of your sins, if you put your faith in Christ alone, your sins will be forgiven. That's a lot of authority. Don't let it go to your head. Because it's from Jesus. It's, it's been given by him. So the Great Commission begins with this. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the inference is, now I'm giving that authority to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's he predicated with? All authority has been given all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now you have that authority to go and preach this message. Forgiveness of sins. That, that's, that's the sum here of what the message of the gospel is. Again, in, in Calvin's commentary, he says, he says this about, the, about summing up the message of the gospel with forgiveness. He says, many other things undoubtedly are contained in the gospel. But the principal object which God intends to accomplish by it is to receive men into favor, not by imputing their sins. If, therefore, we wish to show that we are faithful ministers of the gospel, we must give our most earnest attention to this subject. For the chief point of difference between the gospel and heathen philosophy, between the gospel and any other religion, lies in this, that the gospel makes salvation of men to consist in the forgiveness of sins through free grace. Now here's the inference. What does Jesus say? If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. To proclaim a message of forgiveness, to say, if you will repent, if you will believe in what Jesus has done on the cross, then your sins will be forgiven. To proclaim that message is to proclaim the opposite. If you reject this message, if you do not repent of your sins, if you do not put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, if you refuse to believe this message, then the wrath of God remains on you and your sins. 
and you only have expectation of judgment, of eternal death, of hell. That's the opposite of this message. So if we preach forgiveness, it's a beautiful message. But the other side is, if we're preaching forgiveness, we're also saying, if you don't believe this, then there is no forgiveness. In fact, there's judgment. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. He says, among those who are receiving the message and those who are rejecting the message, we have a smell. He says this, to one, the aroma from death to death, to the other, an aroma from life to life. When we proclaim the message, there are those who smell it, and it smells beautiful to them, and they receive forgiveness, and it is a message of life to life. And others smell it, and it smells like a dead corpse, and they want nothing to do with it. And it's a smell of death to them. You know what Paul follows that up with? He speaks of that to the one, an aroma from death to death, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to go and to proclaim this kind of a message to people? That's what Jesus is sending us to do something like this. This is what he's sending us to do. He's saying go and proclaim a message that offers forgiveness or hell. Who who is adequate for these things? None of us. Except that Jesus has sent us, as he was sent by the Father, in the power of the Spirit, with the authority to proclaim a message of forgiveness of sins. We do not have the authority to do this. We do not have the power to do this. If Jesus said, I'm sending you as I sent, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you, and, and that's it, then we would say, I can't do it. There's no possible way. If Jesus comes to Grace Fellowship Church and says, here's what you're going to do. I want you to proclaim a message of forgiveness of sins, and for those who reject it, it's a message of death to death. I want you to do this. And he doesn't say, receive the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say, do it in my authority. Then we have nothing to do. We have nothing to say. But he comes and he encourages us. He says, I'm sending you. I'm giving you the spirit that I had. I'm giving you the authority of my words. So we go. We go, we go with boldness. Even as the disciples responded, they went out. They rejoiced and they, they shared with boldness in the face of persecution, in the face of death, in the face of all opposition. They went and they unlocked the door of the upper room and they went into the streets and they proclaimed it to anyone who would listen, even if they didn't want to hear the message. So we are sent as Jesus was sent. We are sent in the power of the Spirit to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world. This past Friday, April 20th, that was supposed to be the day that everyone who shared and got excited about the Coney 2012 video, that was the day that everyone was supposed to go out and share the truth of what Coney was doing, to make Coney famous, to put the posters up and, and to tell everyone who Joseph Coney was. The news reports that have come out is that it was close to a failure. That those who got excited, who put the video on their Facebook wall, weren't willing to get up at midnight and to go out and to plaster the streets. They didn't show up with their posters and their duct tape. They just 
wanted to show the video to some friends. They didn't get out on the streets. Few showed up. And it would be easy for us to point a finger at those individuals and say, ah, oh, you just did what was easy. You know, you, you didn't put action to your words. You, you said that you were really passionate about this cause, but when push came to shove and you had an opportunity to do something about it, you didn't do it. And it would be really easy to do that. But, but if we do that, realize that we are just as guilty. If we mock their fleeting commitment, what about our commitment? Jesus has sent us. He has sent us with a message. We have been sent in the power of the Spirit with a message of forgiveness, a message of life and death. So what are we going to do? Should we lock the door? we got to go buy some blinds and cover this thing up so no one knows that we are here because we're scared. I mean, should we lock ourselves in here? Is that what the disciples did? That's not what they did because Jesus, Jesus emboldened them. He said, receive the Spirit. I'm sending you as the Father sent me. Receive the Holy Spirit and go in the authority of preaching this beautiful message of forgiveness of sins. Yes, it smells like death to some, but there are those who will get a whiff of it, and they will smell life, and they will receive the message of forgiveness of sins, of being made right with God. And so, Grace Fellowship Church, I think this is our message as we're here in this new place. Jesus comes to the middle of the room and he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. As individuals and as a church, we are sent. We are called to go. This is what we're supposed to do. This we gather together. Yes, this is important to proclaim God's word. We see this all throughout Scripture. But as we leave, we are sent. We are sent to go and to proclaim this message. And Jesus gives us encouragement. He says to each one of us, he breathes and says, Receive the Holy Spirit, just as the Spirit was with me. The Spirit is with us. Don't let that, that truth get old, that the Spirit's power and authority is in you, if you've put your faith in Christ. And then he says, speak with authority. Speak this message as truth. There are those who would say, you're judgmental. You're saying, if I don't accept the way that you believe that, that I'm going to hell, and we would say, yes, that's true. That is what I'm saying. But I don't say it on my own authority. I say it on the authority of God's word and what Jesus has told me to say. I don't say it with any pride because I think I'm special and I figured something out. I say it with a breaking heart that says, if you don't receive the forgiveness of sins by repenting and believing, then you are bound for a godless eternity. We preach this message. We preach it in the power of the Spirit, in the strength of the Spirit, with the boldness of the Spirit. And we do it on the authority of God's Word that Jesus has given us. And He said, go. And if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. If you retain them, they are retained. Who is adequate for these things? None of us, except for the encouragement that Christ gives us by sending his spirit and giving us his authority. I want to take our moment of silence now and allow us to let these things sink into our hearts. And then I will pray and we will close with the song. But let's just take a moment of silence to think on the fact that we have been sent as Jesus was sent in the power of the spirit to proclaim the authoritative message of forgiveness of sins.